Good morning, friends. Thank you for being here with me today. My name is Sarah, and I'm one of the pastors at the Vine Church, and I'm just honored that you're listening in today online. So it's been a great few days for me, um, very full, but also really good. And in, in days when I have a lot going on and the calendar's full and busy and I'm running around from work to home to kids and all the things, I set a whole lot of reminders on my phone. I, this is one piece of technology that I really like. And so my phone will remind me, hey, you've got this event coming up or hey, you need to be here at this time. And I find that really helpful because at times I can be pretty forgetful. In fact, if I don't write it in my phone, I'm liable to forget. I was thinking about this uh, a few days ago, a couple days ago when I went and picked up my daughter from school and she often laughs at me because I don't pick her up where I'm supposed to. And you would think that'd be pretty easy, but her schedule's a little bit complicated. She's in orchestra two mornings a week. And so when she has orchestra, we have to drop her off early and then we pick her up out front instead of out back. The other three days we pick her up behind the school, but the day she has orchestra, we have to go to the front because she goes back to the music room to pick up her instrument to bring it home. And so often on those days when I'm supposed to pick her up at front, I sit around at the back until all the kids are picked up. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be out front. And so then I'll drive around to the front and she'll be up there waiting for me. And she always laughs at me and she'll say, you were out back, weren't you, mom? And I have to say, yes, I forgot again. Well, a couple days ago, it was an orchestra day and I went again, I forgot to go pick her up out front. And so I went to the back, I got there a few days or uh, a few minutes early. And so I was just watching the kids as they came out of school. And I saw her, I saw Rachel come out of the school and start walking towards, towards the road. And then all of a sudden, as I'm watching her, she turns around and just sprints back to school. She just makes a beeline for it as fast as her little legs can take her. And at first I'm, I'm confused, like what is going on? And then I remembered that it was an orchestra day and she had forgotten that it was an orchestra day and she had come out back instead of going to pick up her instrument and meeting me out front. So I chuckled a little bit and I turned the car back on and, and made my way through the traffic to get to the front of the school and there's Rachel and she gets in and she's just acting all normal, like nothing happened, totally, totally normal day. And, I, and I'm and i chuckling at her and I say, Rachel, I know you're a secret. <laughs> and she's like, what, what's my secret? And so I tell her that I saw her running and then she just sheepishly says, yes. <laughs> But don't we all need reminders from time to time of, of what is going on? Because we forget. And sometimes it's hard to own up to that. Today, we're going to continue our series in 1 John. And as we've seen throughout this series, John is reminding um, his readers who Jesus is and what it looks like to follow 
Jesus. So we're going to actually finish up the letter to 1 John. So we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 21 today. But we're going to take it just a little bit by little bit because there's some things in there that we want to really dive into and, and talk about. So I want to read. You can follow along if you like. 1 John chapter, three, uh, chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Here's what John writes. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So here John is telling us the purpose for this letter. This letter that was sent out to the Christians around the region of Ephesus in the first century. He he says, I write to you who believe in the name of the Son of, G of God, Jesus, so that you may know that you have eternal life. I write this so that you know that you have eternal life. If you've been with us, you've heard us talk multiple times about the context of this letter. There had been a group of people that left the house churches in this region claiming to know the secret knowledge about Jesus. And they claimed to know the truth. They claimed to, to know something that, that no one else knew. And they said that Jesus was not the Messiah and that Jesus was not God in human form. And as they left, they were actively recruiting other Christians to join them and teaching these false beliefs and just casting doubt and chaos into the house churches. And so John is writing this letter in response to this crisis. And he's, his response is basically that if you believe in Jesus, if you're following Jesus, you can know for certain that you have eternal life. You can be confident of this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You know, in some ways, this his response is super simple. It's like, if you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. And yet, when I think about this, I think of our current um, lives right now. There are so many voices coming at us, especially in this digital world. I was talking about my phone and how nice it is to get those reminders. Yes. And also some, the phone and, and other devices like that and the internet just give us such easy access to so many different voices saying so many different things to us. And so there's this need for discernment. There's this need to pause and really listen for the voice of God in any given situation. And we determine um, the voice of God and what God is speaking into a situation through a lot of different ways, primarily though through scripture and through prayer, listening prayer and through conversation with other Christians by asking what God, what is it that you want to say in this situation? What are the truth? What, what is the truth in this situation and what are the lies being presented in this situation? And so in the context of, of the first century here, John is telling the Christians, Hey, if you, if you 
believe in the name of the Son of God, then you can know for sure that you have eternal life. So what is this eternal life that John is referring to? We talked a little bit about that last week. This eternal life is the fullness, this rich, abundant life in Jesus. And it is a, a life that begins right now as we believe in Jesus and continues on for eternity, continues on forever. It is a life centered in God and God's love and God's purposes for our, our personal lives and also for humanity and for this world. It is a life yielded to God and so full of God's good and transformative work. John's going to continue in verse 14, and he writes, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. John here talks about the confidence we have in approaching God, the confidence. I love that, confidence to approach God. Another way to translate this from the Greek would be the confidence we have in the presence of God. You know, I was a, a public school teacher for about nine years. I taught third grade. And as I look back on that journey, I remember my first year of teaching, I was such a newbie teacher. I, there was such a, a big learning curve coming from like studying, teaching in theory at school and then in practice actually teaching a class of kids. And I, I remember I had this strong desire to do well and do my job well. And yet I wasn't super confident as a first year teacher. And there were several, many instances, I should say, when I just needed some help, um, processing how, how, what were the best ways to help the kids that I had. And, and I usually talked to my teaching team, my third grade team, but there were several instances that were a little more complicated and harder and that I really needed to approach the principal on and talk to the principal. And I remember one situation specifically, I knew I needed to talk to the principal, but I was worried about approaching her. I, I experienced this thing anxiety and this dread about going to talk to the principal. I was wondering, would she understand where I was coming from? Would she agree? Would she disagree? Would she think of less of me as a teacher that I needed help? And, and I remember I was not very confident as I walked in to her office that day. And John here is describing a totally different attitude. He is saying here to the, to his readers that you can confidently approach God. You can just be full of confidence. And why? Because God hears us. And I love this. God hears us not because of who we are or what we've done, but rather because of who God is and what Jesus has done. God is a God who hears, who cares, and who wants to listen. 
So John says, we have this confidence in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And then he continues and he says that if he hears us, we know that he, um, that we will have what we ask of him, that we will receive whatever we ask. And this is not saying that we get whatever we ask for. It's not a simple little formula. Rather, as we continue to align ourselves with God and God's kingdom and what he's doing here on earth, the things we ask for will continually align, will align more and more with what he is doing. Let's continue on in verse 16. John writes, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give him, give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin and there is sin, there is sin that does not lead to death. That's hard to read at times. That's a little bit confusing. But here John is continuing um, from, from his idea that we have confidence in approaching God. He says, from this place of confidence, pray for each other when you sin. Pray for life and God will grant life. And the reality is that we all sin and, and sin is simply falling short of the mark. When we fall short of God's mark, that's called sin. And so in confidence, John says, pray for each other and God will give life. And then there's this confusing bit here, this phrase that he repeats multiple times about sin that leads to death. And I just want to talk a, a moment about that to make sure to clarify a couple of things. First of all, no sin is unforgivable by God. That's really important. No sin is unforgivable. And yet there are consequences to sin, even when sin is forgiven. And some have greater consequences than others. If we look at the context of First John, if we think about that again, the secessionists, those who had left the, the house churches were claiming to have the secret knowledge that denied that Jesus was the Messiah and God in human form. And so this example, this is, is an example of really missing the mark and missing the mark in such, to such an extent that they no longer accepted who Jesus really was. They no longer accepted Jesus as the son of God, as the savior of this world. They had moved so far away from the core of the gospel that they weren't in, in truth there. They weren't in uh, the gospel. And the gospel is just this, the, the good news of Jesus. Simply put is this, that Jesus is the son of God. Jesus lived, died, and rose again. And in and through Jesus, we can have eternal life. That's like the crux of it all. And so John is, is saying here, there, there are some times when we sin that we just go so far out, 
outside of the gospel that it's really it's really challenging. It's really hard and we just miss it completely. You know, I've had multiple conversations with people in the past who were fearful or or worried, afraid that that God wouldn't forgive their sin. And and for a variety of reasons, different situations, they were concerned that God could not or would not forgive them. And it's really important for us, especially as we read a passage like this, to remember that this is not what scripture teaches. Scripture teaches, we just talked about it a few weeks ago in First John chapter 1, verse 9, John writes, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. But if we turn to God, if we ask for forgiveness, as we follow Jesus, God will forgive us. God's grace and mercy is greater than any sin, any missing of the mark. We continue on in verse 18. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. John here is describing a reality, reality in the first century and also a reality that we of, of now in the in the 21st century. John is describing a reality in which we are the children of God and yet we are living in a world controlled by the evil one. But there is hope because God is with us and Jesus came to earth to to make God known, to make the true God known. And so when we follow Jesus, we are aligning ourselves with the one true God. And in this, friends, there is such hope. There is such hope in this world because this, this true God, the true God is working for good. This, the true God is light and love as John describes. The true God gives eternal life to those who turn and follow Jesus. The true God will also ultimately be victorious and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and no more sorrow and no more pain and no more sin. So Jesus came to make God known. And then the last sentence of this section, this final section of First John is found in verse 21. And John writes, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. And at first this, this sentence really kind of, kind of made me think, huh, like that's, that's how you're going to finish this whole letter. Keep yourselves from idols. What idols is John referring to here? 
you know, some have said that it's the pagan gods and in, in, in the first century in the Roman Empire, there are many p- pagan gods. So he could have been referring to that. And yet in the context of this letter and the situation that the church house churches were in, it makes more sense to me. And I think it's more likely that John was referring to false teachings here. The, the preaching by this, these groups that Jesus was not the Messiah, that Jesus was not God incarnate. The Jesus they were preaching was not a true representation of the Son of God who gives eternal life. And so I think what John is saying here, children, keep yourselves from idols. He's saying, hey, reject what is false. And worship the true God. Reject what is false and embrace what is true and real, the true God. And when I think of idols in those terms, I I was really hit hard by this this week. Because this is a very pertinent word um, in our context today for, for our churches um, globally today. This is a really important message. In the past few years and with variety of significant events that have happened, have really shown a light on evangelical Christendom. And it's become apparent that there's some prevalent false beliefs or false teachings in many evangelical churches. And and here are some of them. And and I want you to think about them and see if some of these, if you've heard some of these before. And I I think we probably have. Um, Some of these teachings go like this, that being a Christian is equated to being affiliated with a specific political party. That if you're a Christian, then that means you have to be a part of a specific political party. Or maybe you've heard something like this, that being a Christian is equated to taking a hard stance on specific political policies or issues. There's this very dualistic thinking that it's either this or that, and this is Christian, and this is not Christian. Times I've, I've heard this one and, and this one really stings it says being a Christian is equated to being American. That is so far from the truth. <laughs> so far. Uh, another one that, that I've seen and heard is that being a Christian and specifically a white Christian is equated with the right to a special prominent place in the public arena. There's so many things not okay with that statement. You know, these beliefs are false because they define Christianity using political systems and perceived national identities, which are human constructs. And and quite frankly, they're flawed human constructs. And what I've seen, and my hunch is you've seen this too in the last few years, what I've seen is that some of these 
false beliefs or teachings have resulted in hateful, dehumanizing language and attitudes from many who profess to be Christians. And often um, this, these, these hateful, dehumanizing language and attitudes are, are said in the name of Jesus, even. Christianity is not supposed to be like this. Christianity is defined by and supposed to reflect the person and work of Jesus. Being a Christian means following Jesus. Uh, this, this aligning ourselves with the life and teachings of Jesus, submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit might transform us to become more like Jesus. And becoming more like Jesus means a Christian's life is to reflect Jesus's love and compassion, mercy and grace out into the world. Absolutely. Now, as, as we, as we have this conversation, absolutely our faith will influence how we view the world and how we engage, including in the political arena. But here's, here's the crux of what I'm trying to say. Who Jesus is and God's continued mission to, to love and heal humanity should be the lens through which we view everything else. We, the lens through which we see and engage the world around us. Our cultural and political context is not to define how we understand Jesus. Rather, the way of Jesus is to define how we view and engage in our world today. And so as I think about all that, John's statement at the end of the section is so powerful to me. John says, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Reject what is false and embrace the true God. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot in there in this last little section of First John. I'd like to zoom out a little bit and talk um, just briefly about all of First John, just to kind of give us a quick little summary of this letter. We've been in this series since February, so it's been like three months that we've been looking at different sections of First John. First John is a letter written reassuring Christians around the region of Ephesus that they what they had heard from the beginning was true. And what they had heard from the beginning was that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world. He is the Son of God, God in human form. John wrote writing uh, that God is light, and that God is love. And in Jesus, we are children of God, and we're called to walk in God's light 
and in God's love. We're called to receive God's love and then to reflect that love to each other and back out into the world. And so over and over, John is going to repeat in different ways this commandment to love one another. And that is at the crux of Jesus's teaching. Jesus says all the laws and prophets are summed up in these two commands. Love God with all you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. Love people, all the people that you encounter as you would love yourself. And the term love is this agape love. It describes a self-giving love that Jesus demonstrated for us. Friends, this is what it means to be in Christ or, or to walk with God or to have faith. This is what it means to be a Christian. And a life of love is what it should look like when we are Christians. So our invitation today is to know the true God and to have eternal life in Jesus. To know God, to have a relationship with God, and to have eternal life in Jesus. And this is a lifelong invitation. As a community here, a very small part of the global church, of the, of the global uh, community, um, we here at the Vine Church, we want to be a community centered around Jesus. And we are committed to walking together as a community where belonging comes first, a community that believes in Jesus, that there is life and hope for all in Jesus. And we will continue to explore wherever you're at in your faith. We'll continue to explore what that means and what that looks like. And here we're committed to being a community becoming more and more like Jesus in our capacity to love. But as we accept God's love, as we surrender to God, the spirit transforms us that we might become more and more like Jesus. So you, friends, are invited on this journey to know God and to have eternal life in Jesus. One piece of this journey is baptism. And I just wanted to, to remind those um, listening today that next week we're actually going to be preaching on baptism and we're going to have two baptisms next week. I'm super excited about that. And baptism is a public declaration of faith in Jesus and in this public ceremony of surrendering our lives to Jesus and accepting the new life that Jesus brings. And so if you're interested in taking this next step, please come talk to us and, and we can talk about next week or later on if you're not quite ready for next week. But we're excited um, to focus on baptism next week. So friends, we are invited to know God and to have eternal life in Jesus. And this is just an amazing, amazing invitation. I invite you to pray with me. Dear God, I thank you for who you are. You are a God of love and invitation. And Lord, we thank you that you are the giver of life. You're the source 
of life and you have invited us to know you and to live in this full, rich life that we can have in Jesus. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.